Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. Today on Dispatches from the Verge, David Morrison and I sit down to discuss uh, the desert, not only the physical desert, but also the idea of of a desert, um, sort of a literary type look. And then lastly, um, how the desert has shaped spirituality, has shaped uh, world religions um, in sort of a... um, anchor or motivational type way of of being a harsh environment but before we get into that thank you to diego at recording moving studios he does all the editing and sound engineering thank you to jacob at monk drums that's what you hear in the background uh, if you'd like to learn more about desert rain community the ruin.com is a place to go you can read some of uh, david's musings and poetry things of that nature if you're interested in hearing other episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, either Dispatches from the Verge or Road to Desert Rain, drcrpod.com is a place to go. Uh, If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us out. And lastly, if you are listening to this the week uh, that it's released, February 15th, 2022, on February 19th, David Morrison will be involved with something called Pecha Kucha. Uh, He will be reciting some of his haikus uh, connected with uh, photographs of the desert. So if you're available, please tune in for that. We'll put a a link to that in the show notes. Uh, We appreciate you and let's get into it. Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. David Morrison. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Not too badly. Nice. Feel good. It's been a cold couple days here in southern New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, crisp blue sky today. Though. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so we wanted to talk about and explore. I know we've talked about it on several different episodes but just explore this idea of the desert, yeah. uh, the literal desert where we live, um, the literary desert, and sort of this idea of, of being in a, des- a deserted place, um, and, and the spiritual desert. Um, so maybe you could, uh, yeah, well, actually, where, do you, where would you want to start with, the, with the, the three of those between the physical literary and the spiritual deserts yeah why are people drawn to the desert you know it's like the author terry pratchett said uh the desert is the birthplace of all the religions of the world interesting uh, and so yeah so you see the abrahamic religions all yeah. born out of that environment of starkness heat extremes of heat and cold mm-hmm. uh, uh emptiness starkness, uh, death all around you. I remember when I was in probably late high school, there was a, one of those nature shows that was on. I, I don't remember the name, and but it was an Australian guy, and he was he was crazy. He would literally strip down to his whitey tighties <laughs> and jump into some pool in the Aussie <laughs> outback, you know. Right. <laughs> so the first, like, episode I saw, he, like, comes up to the camera, and he's like, I love the desert because the desert is full of death. <laughs> and I was like, I love this guy. <laughs> That's like the most Australian thing yeah. ever. 
And it was probably around the same time as the first time I saw Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. And, and they ask him, a reporter says, why do you love the desert? And he says, because it's clean. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's always been in my imagination in childhood. Uh, you know, I was probably nine years old when Star Wars came out mm. and that desert planet. Right. Uh, and then walking there. Uh, so, yeah. So just always had a fascination with the physical environment of it. Um, probably also, again, in high school, I watched a, on one of the first things I ever recorded on VHS cassette tape was a PBS documentary on the uh, the uh, uh, Chilean desert the, or the, the Atacombe Desert mm. uh, and uh, Anacombe. And um, it was called Flight of the Condor. And so they were showing the migration paths of condors throughout this bazaar. And, and so one of the, the things in that desert, were, you know, it was literally nothing growing. Mm -hmm. It's just, but once every 10 years, they'll have a, a monsoon season. Interesting. And as a result of that monsoon season, for maybe a week or two weeks, exotic flowers bloom wow. for miles and miles in this desert. Uh, we're talking, you, you said that was in, in Chile? Across Chile, Peru, yeah, in okay. South America, yeah. uh, that large desert, yeah, and so we're talking, uh, car, you know, the uh, what, what are those giant? They were at the proms, uh, you know, uh, the big flowers, right, 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 snap. yeah, I don't yeah. Know. We're talking I don't these know. exotic yeah. kinds of tropical kinds of flowers that you would, yeah, they, they're, and then they die within a week, wow, and their bulbs drop and are buried under the. For another 10 years. Unforgiving sands. And then, yeah, another 10 years, something, you know, another rainstorm. So that just, yeah, I was like 16, 17. And it's just like, this is amazing. This is an amazing thing. And then I've always been a desert walker. Mm -hmm. And that is my spirituality, really. So, yeah. And, and um, sort of a, a big picture thing that comes to mind is why do you think, you know, in, in your studies or whatever, why is it that religion or not? Yeah. Religion would, would spring up sort of out of these desolate areas yeah. in such a, you know, it did culturally it, it, you know, it, it's in my mind, it's like you're looking for some, some kind of hope, you know what I yeah. mean? But then if you look, you know, if you sort of investigate the Christian story, it's like, well, you know, there's, you know, the, uh, gets crucified, right? Like he gets killed by the state, you know right. what I mean? It's like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel so hopeful. But anyway, so why, why do you think the, the desert is linked so closely with religion and spirituality? I, th I think it's a place where your distractions are taken away. Mm -hmm. So if you go sit and pray in a forest, there's so much around you mm -hmm. to be distracted. Uh, whereas the desert, there's an emptiness to it. And so... And in that emptiness, there's a there's a sense of the infinite, of the mm, eternal. Right. And I think it it uh, scales the person back to those bare essentials, and uh, and then you begin to see beyond the veil, if you will. And so, yeah. So you see, yeah, the birth of Abraham uh, in in that desert. You know, there were cities at the time. You know, right. The Book of Genesis has a lot to do with. Uh, asking the question, what was lost uh, when civilization occurred? Mm. So, you know, you had these great cities, Ur, uh, you know, and uh, 
these Babylonian ancient cities, Chaldee cities. And so what was, so they were asking the question really, what was lost by putting on shoes? Mm. So at some point we put shoes on uh, the human race right. and, and lost something. We gained a lot, obviously, right. but we lost some, this connection of a constant touch of skin and earth, the foot and earth. Um, Would you say that's probably true with any technology? A yeah, shoe, a shoe being so. a form of technology, yeah, right? Yeah, it's one of the first technologies, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think there's a lot gained and there's a lot mm. lost. And, uh, and so, yeah, so you're able to look deeper in. Thomas Merton, uh, in his book, Thoughts and Solitude, said, uh, the desert is valuable to God because it's worthless to humankind. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so you have... The children of Israel wandering in the desert. You have Moses who had the encounter of the burning bush in the desert. Um, you know, then you have Jesus going into the wilderness, to the desert wilderness right. for 40 days. You have Muhammad in a cave. I forgot where the cave is, but it's in a desert region. Right. And uh and you know, and then of course the, the desert monks uh in the end of the uh second century, third century, uh when uh uh, Christianity became the state religion of Rome. Uh, these, and then the cross became the emblem of military conquering empire. Uh, empire, just like it is here in America today. The dominant Christian sense is uh, maybe not so much the cross, but the Bible itself mm. to justify militarism, uh, uh, rogue capitalism, exploitive capitalism at the expense of others. Um, and so there are those that wanted to seek and find the original meaning of the cross. Mm. Uh, and so they went out into caves and deserts and, uh, and they were, oh, and then they would, you know, people would join them and say, what do I have to do? And they would say something like, go to your cave and it will teach you everything you need to, to know. So. And, um, I can't remember because the idea around some of these, uh, the if I remember correctly, they're called the the fathers of the desert, right? Am I getting that? Correct? Yeah, desert fathers and mothers. Yeah, the some of the speculation or, or hypothesis is that it was it was a um, a protest, right? Of, oh yeah, of yeah. the the state religion, right? right? And um, and I, I know you've. There's a quote about that, about, you know, it, yeah, you might go yeah. out and... So maybe you could speak on that a little bit of... Yeah, that's a good point. I think it was Cynthia Bourgeau okay. in a, in a, at the living school when I was there. She said that. Uh, she said a protest might drive you into the wilderness, uh, but it won't keep you there for 10 years. You know, you, you have to find something. Uh, and so so, yeah, so usually these deep spiritualities when you want to go deeper into the heart of things when you feel a drawn uh, a drawing into infinite love often it's something rep is pushing you away from what you're doing mm -hmm. the way that you're thinking uh the spirituality that you're maintaining uh so there's something discomforting to you mm -hmm. at this point and it's pushing you uh but at some point something has to find you uh, that infinite love finds you, and then that keeps you um, in in those kinds of conditions. So, yeah. 
Could, do you have any uh, examples of like how that has unfolded in your life? Sort yeah, of? yeah, for sure. Because a lot of why we came out here to start a a community, you know, it's it's countercultural, right? And yeah, and a lot of it, the pushing back, the pushing away was for me was um, here we are, we're doing this church, we're praying, we're we're earnest, we're sincere, we may be failing at living Christ like. But we're at least sincere in trying to do this. Right. Uh, and there came a, a realization that uh, that if our lives look just pretty much like everyone else's life, then what's where's the where's the Christian witness to Christ? Uh, if you've never gazed on Christ inside of you and in the world, then uh, uh, you can't witness it. You never witnessed it. So. So I realized, yeah, uh, it's got to be a, the Christian life has to be a counter cultural lifestyle. Right. And so community became the model for us. So we came out here in that sense of protesting consumer church, mm -hmm. what I called consumer church at the time. I called it a suburban religion, uh, which is just uh, American, the American dream warmed over and repackaged as, uh, as the gospel put the gospel label on right. kind of like when they uh they just put organic on a label you know on on some food and yeah eat that <laughs> plant-based oh it must be healthy yeah really like, why won't you tell us the salt content then uh what, what chemicals were yeah, added in exactly. this to keep it together <laughs> so so yeah so so us coming out here was a protest in that sense we were trying to reimagine what church could be like but what we found or what found us was uh this this monastic way and and the way of the desert and uh, a contemplative spirituality you know rather than uh a religious uh spirituality if you will i'm not saying religious is bad necessarily because for some people that's a starting point yeah exactly yeah. i'm not as i'm not as harsh a critic of it as i used to be uh cuz you know in the particularly in the charismatic Pentecostal world, we would say things like, you know, it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, you know? <laughs> and then, and then they, uh, and then they, it uh, becomes a, it, yeah, they, yeah, they put their religious yeah. stuff on you. Uh, well, I'm not gay. So now you can't be gay. And so, you know, uh, and they, and they, you know, their own frustrations with their own sexuality, they put those rules on others uh, and they start burning books and they start, you know, so, yeah. Well, and it's it's funny too because even in the recovery world, there's a little bit of that where it's like, this isn't religious; it's spiritual. And then you know, sometimes, not everybody, but there you know, there's a certain uh, section of people that will get very religious about some of the yeah. some of the things within the recovery world. And it's like, well, I thought this was spiritual, not religious. Yeah. And if you try to point it out to them, they they get really like if someone came up to me and said, "Hey, twelve steps, pretty religious," I'd say, "Yeah." Yeah. yeah it is <laughs> but if you tell someone that this, some of the people that are really religious about it like try yeah. to act strictly dogmatic about it you point that out to them and it's like oh no it doesn't it, go well. yeah, woo, yeah you just spin them right up yeah it's possible to be hyper religious about being non-religious right and it's just yeah it's crazy it's a crazy place to be and so um what so I understand the pro, you know, I think, I feel like you articulated the protest side of going, right? Like yeah. becoming, you know, heading to Chaparral, embracing the contemplation, con 
contemplative lifestyle. Yeah. And and in what ways has that love found you that that eternal love you were talking about? Well, it, it definitely. So instead of becoming a a goal to be successful at ministry, because that's what most pastors have, it was it was a desire to do what is next and to do that thing in love. And if you're slowing down enough where you don't have to to build an organization, a religious organization, a church, uh, then you can those things can enter into you. You can think about why you do what you do and 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 then the relationships, what happens is an authenticity comes to you or comes out of you. I don't know how it works. Right, right, right. And then, right. You, and then your relationships become more authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not selling anything to anyone. You're not, you don't have a secret agenda to get them converted to Jesus. Uh, to make sure they show up every Sunday. Yeah, you're not doing that anymore. And so then you're able to, to enter into the... the, the uh, you know, the, the, the injustice, you can, you can enter into the work of justice and mercy in, in our world in a more authentic way. I'm not saying it won't be painful, uh, but, you know, so and, that's and been my experience. Was that shift difficult for you, shifting from a building a church to, to not building? No, because it kind of our failure was complete when we came out here, mm. because no one wants to drive to the middle of the desert to go to church, and so so that collapse came kind of fast. So, I, but I guess even before, so, when you were like walking towards this idea, right, of community, could you kind of foresee that 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 collapse was coming? Or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, what happened before that to make you not want to grow? A church. I think the fact that we were giving ourselves to so much prayer at the time, mm. and it just started transforming us, and mm. so our values started to shift. Uh, so it was a feeling of we want something more, but we don't know what it is exactly, you know. And so it became community, a monastic expression of our faith. Um, Simplicity, those those kinds of values. I think I just said simplicity, didn't I? I, don't I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and getting getting closer to the heart of life itself, you know, and what life is all about. And so, yeah, yeah, and it's it's very interesting too. I know we've covered it on some of the people's road to desert rains, but road to desert rain. Some of the episodes. Uh, but that the um, the backlash was pretty severe as far as with people that you cared and loved for all those years in the the stereotypical church, yeah, and then shifting to this community based yeah, we lost friends and I mean it could have been a lot worse in other periods of time in church history, right, right, right we could have been tortured you know and, and but it doesn't minimize the killed. pain the pain that people yeah went there was through. definitely it's all relative i guess yeah. yeah so yeah there was definitely a lot of pain a lot of loss of friendships um a loss of ego a loss of respect for my colleagues um uh, was no longer considered a colleague a pastoral colleague with people anymore loss of those kinds of things because that's a big ego thing in the church world pastor so-and-so 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they love to be. They love to walk in the marketplaces. Well, we ran into that as pastor. You and I ran into that father. at the uh, detention center with Ch- our buddy right, Chuck Berry. Right, yeah, yeah. That's right. That was a very interesting interaction. Yeah. For oh, you're a full time minister now. You're a human being. I'll notice you. <laughs> yeah, and as an outsider, it was very interesting to watch that interaction because yeah. to you it was just it was like routine like you knew <laughs> yeah <laughs> understood where that was going where that was headed because i'd seen it so much yeah so so yeah so there was a lot of that ego tearing down uh, inside of me and that that kind of stuff and um so yeah yeah well it's very interesting to once again sort of as an outsider in the sense that i wasn't around during those years right mm-hmm. but it seems like within the last six months or nine months there's been a lot of reconciliation not only with you personally, but just people, people connected to Desert Rain mm-hmm. and uh, some of the people in the church world. I don't want to say any names because right, I don't, yeah, you know, yeah. but it's very interesting how how reconciliation can still come around. Yeah, that's true. In it's, some of those um, hurt relationships, or you know yeah, what I mean, like. Yeah. It's it's been really. I've had a handful of conversations with people, and it just it's it's really beautiful. It's unfortunate that there was a fallout, right? Yeah, because we were committed friends. You know, we were raising our kids together and all that, and um, yeah. So that was that was painful, and I felt a lot of guilt for years. There was a lot of guilt. In what sense? I abandoned these people. I was their shepherd, mm. and I you know we we went and became apostates. Uh, that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of, because the inner, we, we could probably do a podcast on this, but the inner Pharisee, that religious voice that's inside of every mm-hmm. one of us. Right. Yeah, I was always beating the shit out of me <laughs> for years. And then I think it was just age to come to realize uh, friendships have, you know, friendships come and go. Some stay for a lifetime, mm-hmm. but most don't. Uh, you know, we're, we're, Walking us uh, side by side for a time, and we can enjoy that time, and uh, and maybe yeah, there might be a period of mourning of the loss of a friendship, uh, but but a lot of times it's just they just end, you know. Yeah. Interests change, you change, uh, you know, uh, and and so I've come to accept that as right. part of a natural, a natural way, um, which is kind of in the paradox of twenty twenty two the oddity of social media is you feel or appear um, connected to people that you might not be connected to with in real life. Yeah. Right. And it it can be like a scandal if you unfollow someone or block someone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's part considered a hostile act these days. Right. right? But that's part of life. Like (laughs) people get blocked from other people's lives or just, they just walk in different directions and that's okay. Yeah, if you could make peace with that, you'll have a lot more peace in your life. Uh, I think another thing for me was, you know, in the last 10 years, I had two legitimate, uh, not legitimate, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, real, and, real and present <laughs> life. Uh, 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 you almost died. Near, near death experiences. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was trying to say. So two in 10 years and friends from the past uh never reached out to us during that mm-hmm. time so the the obligate it's not there it's gone it's 
the, the friendship's not there. There was something there right. 25 years ago. There's nothing there now. They would have reached out. And that's okay. Uh, and they didn't. And it, it, it just, it gave me a peace, in, in other words, of, okay, there's no obligation there on my part. And therefore, there's no failure anymore yeah. that, that I'm going to allow to hang over me. So when I hear that religious critic in my voice say, you know, you abandon these people. And they... Uh, I've, I've trained myself almost like cognitive therapy to say, uh, thank you for your criticism. I'll let my manager know, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, and just kind of acknowledge it, but dismiss it immediately. Right. So. Well, and I think, you know, and I think that's part of the, the contemplative lifestyle is to. Yeah, I think so. Learn sort of, because that inner critic is important, right? Like yeah, for, for us sure. to navigate the world and. We can also beat ourselves, at least I can beat myself yeah. up with, with that inner critic. Yeah. Be aware of how you affect others. That's one thing, you know. Uh, don't drive like an idiot. Don't be a pig parker, as Larry David would say. <laughs> uh, do those, you know, so listen to the voice on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, put your garbage away. Uh, you know, those, those kinds of things. Be a good neighbor. Mm. Be a good community person. Uh, but don't take it to the point of, you know, your you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, so to kind of circle back to this idea of the desert, um, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but this idea of like a literary desert. So maybe, maybe you're, you have all the distractions in your life, right? You, you have money, you have a nice place to live. Um, you know, whatever your kids are doing well, you know, whatever it might be. But it's that there still feels like something's missing, right? Like yeah, I think so. There, there. You might have this internal calling or this uh, intuition, but you can't really put your thumb on it. Uh, and I, I think that's sort of the this um, this call to the, you know, maybe you can't pick up and move to the middle of the desert or the middle of nowhere, right? Like you're, yeah, that's just not how your life is situated today. But but what could people do? What can people do? to kind of um, investigate that, the idea of desert, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th I think, uh, again, going to your cave, that cave is not a literal cave. It was for them and is Right, for right, right, right. And it can be. But, but they're also talking about the cave of your own heart. <laughs> Some people are situated where they can go yeah. <laughs> live in a cave for weeks or days or whatever. So it might, be meaning, it might mean to do some work on... Uh, what are you mourning right now? What what have you lost? Uh, we're because we're trained to to gloss over our losses in this culture. We're trained to uh, dismiss uh, any kinds of negativity, uh, or to mourn quickly. Yeah, yeah, move on. Yeah. You know, and that's that's toxic. That's not healthy. It's not realistic. It's not the way it works in reality. You know, and so so maybe allow yourself to do that to. Uh, to talk about uh, within yourself, you know, to meditate on uh, where is your life empty? Um, where is that? Because that becomes the springboard for uh, an engagement with the infinite love of God. Mm. That's it's not your strengths; it's your weaknesses. And so that's that's a major biblical theme. Well, uh, I I, th I think too, it might not be apparent what you feel like you're missing out on or what you're mourning. Yeah, it it could have happened when you were a child. Your teenage years, yeah. your twenty—you know what I mean. It, exactly, it's all present. Yeah, 
Yeah, what John O'Donoghue would call your longing. Mm-hmm. Where is your longing? Uh, and what are you longing? You know, and, uh, you know, so, so allow yourself to sit in that. Um, it's, it's, it's a scary invitation for most people. Well, I, I think, too, to be able to have those conversations with trusted people. You know, whether it's a loved one or, you know, a therapist or a a religious leader or whatever it might be and, and, um, investigate that. Cause I know for me, like writing is, is good. Right. But I also having a conversation, like I know you and I have had plenty of conversations, you know, that, that have helped me learn stuff about myself or learn about longing and, and, uh, things that maybe I'm mourning, um, uh, and so finding different ways to explore whatever that might be. Yeah. So a practical way would be, see, I, I, I suspect that a lot of people don't even trust themselves to be alone in a room, mm. not doing anything. Right, yeah. Uh, so try to do that first. The productivity monster will, exactly, will start you know? gnawing on your back. Exactly. So why is that? What are you running away from uh, when you do that? Uh, and so... Uh, maybe a practical step would be to go seek out a, a spiritual director, you know, uh, who is doing that kind of stuff. Uh, not somebody that would encourage you to not be still or silent, but someone that could train you how to be. And, and if they charge an exorbitant amount of money, don't do it. Uh, the, the, the real ones, the authentic ones, uh, would charge very little if, if nothing at all to do that, to, to be a spiritual director for you. Um, so, yeah. Well, I, I think too, um, and you and I just talked about this recently about that idea of charging, you know, but I think too, even if you, this idea of going to your cave and learning, yeah, you know, and, and something I suggest to people, and I know I've said this on the podcast more than once, but what do one minute, yeah. One minute of silence for a week, you know, like make sure, like yeah. try to hit every single Small day. Small increments. Try to do it at the same time every day. But even if you don't do that, still like, you know, the example I always give is like when I, <laughs> yeah, alarms. <laughs> um, edit that out. Let me, let me write that down. Um, but even if, if it's like, you know, one morning, you know, one day you can, you have, a, you know, you get to an appointment five minutes early, sit yeah. in your car for a minute, right? Like if it's, uh, you know, whatever, you know, everyone has hectic lives, but yeah. it squeeze in that one minute at different places and um, set an alarm. Yeah. Like if you're worried about quote unquote, spending too much time contemplating, set an alarm for yourself that, that, you know, you know, whether you're worried about dozing off yeah. or, you know, whatever, missing, missing something, um, and then, you know, and then go from there. Yeah. Simply turn off the radio, mm. turn off the podcast, turn off, uh, your phone, except for this podcast. Don't Keep turn listening. <laughs> turn it up. Uh, you know, on your commute. Yeah. Uh, you know, I could never do that. We'll try it for 10 minutes. You know, in spirituality and in, in these efforts to draw close to God, however you want to phrase it, uh, it's a little bit goes a long, long way. Well, not in, and um, the other thing that I've learned on both sides, doing it and not doing it is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. So like doing it 
five times a week or doing it yeah. more days than you don't do something. There's something, you know, I, I think the, the most recent um, example in my life is I, I went for a good, I don't know, seven or eight years where I journaled almost every single day. Mm. And in the last, I want to say three years, I haven't. And it's really, it's really odd. I, you know, I try not to beat myself up about it or overanalyze about it, but there was something a little bit different when I was, mm. when I was consistently journaling, um, you know, and, and maybe tonight's the night where I get back into it, but maybe yeah. not as well, you know, but there is something about consistency and doing a little bit yeah, because it, then it becomes sustainable. If, if, if you try to do an hour every day, you're, when you're at zero hours, you're going to convince yeah. yourself, yeah. oh, that's too much time. It's the same with any discipline, right? Yeah. So. And, and so sort of, and I, I mean, I guess we're kind of covering it now, but sort of that next step. So we, we talked about the physical desert, sort of this idea of the literary or, or made up desert. And then sort of the spiritual desert, right? Like this, this place where we can connect with the beloved in, in ways that probably we couldn't even anticipate, right? Um, but what, what, uh, what has that looked like in, in your life? And, and how have you been able to maybe articulate that or pass that along to other people that are interested in that spiritual desert? Uh, what, what I thought we were just talking about that. So what? It, be more specific. Uh, I'm not sure what because you said literary and then spiritual. I think we we might have flip flopped it already. No? Okay. Well, what do you mean by literary desert? <laughs> I think I think I went spiritual when you went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literary. Yeah. yeah. Now that you say that, that's, so how? So I guess to back up just half a step, how would you articulate the literary desert to someone? that doesn't have access to a desert. Oh, I see. I see. I'm sorry. I took a, a Yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, well, I, th I think in popular culture and in literature, there's definitely, you know, uh, books you could read. Uh, I think one of the most popular books is The Little Prince, mm. uh, which takes place in the North African desert and some profound things that uh, St. Exuberi says about the desert there. Mm. Uh, the Dune novels, I haven't read all of them, but uh, I know the movie just was yeah, just gone. Yeah, came out, what, two months ago? Three yeah, months ago? And I haven't seen it yet. But but yeah, there's definitely a desert spirituality in that book series or movies. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so the, there's... Well, and that. even the, the examples you gave at the very beginning with the Star Wars and the, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? The um, Was it Lawrence uh, of Arabia? Yeah, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some others uh kind of escaping my mind at the moment but. well and, and even um sort of the we touched on this a bit but i think it's you know but but um books that have to do with ocean right the ocean and, and yeah. sailing and and um being right like in the desert you're surrounded by sand right you have so much yeah. sand you you wouldn't know what to do with it so at some point it doesn't even become helpful or useful. Yeah. And the ocean's the same way, right? Like salt water is not helpful or useful, especially yeah. if that's the only thing. Um, so those are, you know, that's, a, that would, I, I guess another thing I would, I would yeah. point to is investigating those, those types of 
yeah. literary situations and, and things of that nature. There's a great allegorical novel. I think it was written in the 90s. Uh, the uh, the Alchemist. Mm. By, uh, I think his name was Paolo uh, Coelho. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, that's a great book. That's a great desert story as well. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Merton wrote, translated uh, Sayings of the Desert Fathers. Uh, Interesting. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So there's... Those those resources are online as well. Uh, yeah. Um, there's an old website. I mean, it's like the beginning of the internet. It's on it's what been was up it? There Geo, that long. It's on GeoSites. It might be, <laughs> but it's a great compilation, and it's called I think the Internet. I think that's actually in the name, the Internet uh, Sacred Texts. Library. Really? Yeah. And Interesting. Just put in desert and see what comes up out of that. Uh, so what is it exactly? They've compiled free online, and this is very early internet, called right. hypertext. They <laughs> use that. I think it uses that term. And so, so like, for example, I'm reading on that website right now, uh, uh, Lady uh, Augusta Gregory in, in Ireland in the uh, early 20th century, late late. 19th century uh she collected stories of people i think it's called uh visions and beliefs of the people of western ireland i think is the name of it she compiled people's story of their encounters of the supernatural uh and she you know wrote it down and so so i'm reading that book right now it's what you'd call the fairy folk or the mm. good folk or uh yeah so but yeah it's got the bible it's got Quran, it's you know, it's That's just so all the religious traditions and 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 then some, right? Yeah, yeah. And they compiled it and a wide net of sacred types, yeah. of um, text, yeah, internet sacred texts or something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, and so connected with the desert, and and I don't know, I feel like this sometimes goes overlooked, but uh sort of expanding on that idea um, that we talked about earlier with the the 10 year the decade monsoon right it comes once a decade and then there's yeah. this these beautiful flowers right and that that's an extreme example but the beauty of the desert is is extreme in my opinion is extremely underrated yeah. Because look, if you, you know, you step back and you look from afar, it can sometimes seem like there's nothing there. Exactly. Right? But then when you get into the middle of it, you know, you're walking through it. Yeah. Your, uh, your day to day is in and around it. Um, several years, you spend several years, right? In and around it. Uh, this beauty, if you pay attention, this beauty starts to, to sort of break through right. the, the quote unquote, not beauty. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would be interested to sort of yeah. hear your experience with, with the beauty, you know, here in Chaparral, here at Desert Rain, the Chihuahua Desert, and just um, some of the things that, that uh, seem spectacular and beautiful, yeah. but the, because of your proximity of being here for so long. Yeah, so I'm an El Paso native, and so, and I grew up in a kind of a military neighborhood. Right. But my family was not military. So we were the 
the so-called the, the the natives or the settlers there who would remain. Right. So I had a lot of friends that would, uh, you know, like Greg and Deanna, I think they mentioned on their stories, they were military families. So they were always moving. Exactly. Well, I was the guy that they left behind. <laughs> I was the friend they would leave behind. I remember one of my earliest friends was a kid named Patrick and he was German barely spoke English. Mm. He was with the, his dad was with the German air force, which trained in right. El Paso. This was a very strange yeah. thing. I don't know if, I don't think they do anymore, but they did back. Yeah. I think seventies and eighties. I remember when I was a kid, I think they were still, so I think even yeah, really 90s, strange. Yeah. the German air force doing out here, you know, and I thought we, I thought we destroyed Germany. So anyway, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so we were friends. He lived across the street and then he wasn't there anymore. Uh, there were other friends who, uh, yeah, they would just come and go. And so there's this experience of uh, a large influx of visitors, if you will, mm -hmm. from the military who are usually coming from the south of the U.S., which is uh, I've, I've, Arkansas is the farthest south I've been. So from what I understand of the south, is you know, a lot of trees. Very green, and, very lush. Super green, yeah. yeah. And it's... Uh, Warm winters for the most part, and a lot of water, you know, a lot of you know the Mississippi River, right. that kind of stuff. And so it's it's a shock when they would come here, you know. And most of them are also very Anglo and very uh, well South. <laughs> and so they come down to a Hispanic, you know, uh, you know, ninety percent Mexican American, uh, right? Well, maybe uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the percentage Paso, might be off, but yeah, <laughs> but we, we understand what you're dominate, saying. Dominate, yeah, uh, where where uh, Mexican culture is dominant here in this city. Um, even if you're you're an Anglo family, if you've lived, if you've been in El Paso for more than twenty years, uh, you eat tamales on Christmas Eve. You know, kind of these traditions are in every you know. right. So that, so it's a culture shock for them, but it's uh, but it's also a uh, an environmental shock. Because they see this super green, giant trees, uh, vines growing everywhere, and they come out to just nothing. And brown is the dominant color yeah. here, and they're just <clears throat> they're just in shock. And a lot of them are very pissed off about this, mm. very angry. Why couldn't they be stationed in Hawaii or San Diego <laughs> or someplace like that? But they're here at Fort Bliss, and and which is uh, a funny name now that now that you describe it that way. Yeah, bliss. <laughs> bliss. Right. Here we are. So these poor military families, you know, and with and the military, it's not just military. With the military comes all these other itinerant mm, right. people from elsewhere, and so they're they're shocked, and so they hate it. Usually, uh, it's ugly to them. Uh, we've made jokes about we have self hatred ourselves, and so we've often made jokes over the years that the uh, the El Paso flag is a Walmart plastic bag. <laughs> uh, dangling on a mesquite bush, blowing in the wind, right. and so and that's our that's our city flag and uh, that kind of thing. But it's an invitation to give it a second look. Mm. The desert gives you an invitation to look deeper, to find a hidden beauty, and and if you can find that hidden beauty, this this enthrallment will happen. This gift of wonder will come to you, or the gift of thirst will come to you. And, and I've noticed a lot of uh, people that were stationed here back in the day, mm. they come back here in, in their, in their you know, retirement years mm. because they're drawn, you know, drawn, the desert got them. 
mm-hmm. so to speak. And uh, some will never look back. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But say, that's any, I, mean, I spent that's any a, I spent a month in El Paso one night, you know, kind of yeah. thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, but many, but some get hooked and it's this desert wonder that, that grabs them. And so let me, let me uh, connect that to how we deal with people to make it more concrete. If, if my landscape that I see every day trains me to give everything a second look rather than writing it off and dismissing it as ugly and empty and worthless, uh, nothing to exploit is what you're really saying. Then how do you treat people? If you treat your landscape that way, then you most definitely treat the people in your life and the people that you encounter every day. And so there comes this point where like uh, uh, Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house for dinner, Simon, and this woman of ill repute uh, crashes the party, and, <laughs> and she 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 breaks open her perfume over his feet and is crying, drying his. It's very erotic, even sensual, drying it, drying his feet with her hair, and uh, and 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 the the Pharisee is just look at this one. She's a whore. Look at her. You know how dare he do this allow the, you know, and, and the, the criticism start coming. And then he says, he, Jesus says this very curious phrase. He says, look at this woman. So in other words, give her a second look. Uh, you don't see, you're blind, you know, and that was one of his themes in his conversation. So we're blind to, uh, to people uh, and the desert would treat you, uh, teach you to give everything a second look, a third look, a fourth look until you find a beauty and a life-sustaining uh, force, if you will, uh, that was hidden that you didn't see before. So, well, yeah. And what I think, too, that going to this idea of being blind or, or giving stuff a second look, right, that some of Jesus's um, miracles were allowing the blind to see. Exactly. Right. And, and I think in yeah. a spiritual awakening or spiritual growth, um, that's what starts to happen because yeah. we all have these blind spots, right? You, me, yeah. everyone has blind spots and, and we can't point them out because they're blind spots, right? Yeah. But as you start doing the work, as you start, um, what we were talking about earlier, sitting quietly, yeah, finding someone to teach you how to, to meditate or uh, be more uh, engaged with prayer life, whatever it might yeah. be, journaling, whatever these things might be, the... Uh, Whatever's blinding us seems to to slowly fall away. Yeah, and it's an on excuse me, it's an ongoing process because we'll become blind in other ways. Yeah, he has that. Jesus says that curious line in the Gospel of John, right? I came into the world so that the blind would be able to see, and that those who see would become blind. Mm-hmm. That's a very strange phrase, isn't it? You know? For sure. Uh, and so, so yeah, so it's it's those that think they see, and you know, and you can see this on. I don't know why I do this, but particularly local news, when there's a tragedy in the news somewhere, a murder or, or an accident or anything like that, and I don't know why, but I read the comments, <laughs> and it's it's horrific. It's just because so yeah, talk about not giving there. anything a second look and being blind, and it's usually very moralistic, uh, that you know religious people that say this stuff and they're completely blind. They don't see the tragedy. Um. And and to go back to this this the second look of the desert, um, I'm interested in to know what physically in the desert. What are the things that really that 
are beautiful to you? Uh, well, the sky, uh, um, being able to see the sunset that lasts for, the sun goes down for four days. Yeah. Well, the sun rises too. <laughs> and the sun rises. If you happen to be it up takes, that early. It takes two days for the sun. I hear that. I don't get up yeah. at sunrise. Well, the only reason I get up is my dog will get me up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I'll stand on the, the porch there and just be blown away yeah. by some of these. It, it, I mean, it's the same as the sunset, right? The pinks and right. oranges and yellows and whatever else. Yeah. And so that, uh, you know, so if you have trees surrounding you, you're not going to see that. Buildings surrounding you, you're not going to see that. Um and and to be present to a sunrise and a sunset for a, like you like you were saying uh, for a consistent amount of time will change you. It'll it'll transform you. Uh, to be there for the moonrise over that eastern horizon, uh, so you can see these things and and you kind of know your place in in the uh, solar system, if you will. Uh, you you kind of have a sense of address, uh, a sense of place when when you when you witness that kind of stuff. Uh, I think I might have mentioned years ago uh, a, uh, a native here. Uh, he's actually an actual native, uh, Apache, uh, but he's he's a uh, or was I, I'm, I lost contact with him. But his name is Robert Modkis, and he's a clay chemist, mm-hmm. which is a very you know so strange to me that you would get a a doctorate in in the chemistry of clay, and and his life's work is to create. Uh, sustainable, clean water devices made out of clay to clean right. water. You can literally take a picture of that he's created and and you know uh, scoop up mud water mm. and it will it will make it safe Filter. for drinking. Yeah. Right. So his life is about this. And he was talking with us as a group one time, and he told us that he was talking about clay, the the chemistry of clay in the desert, which is the the, the composition of our soil, it's right. clay. Yeah. Uh, there's sand on top and then there's this clay, which is why water doesn't seep down into the back into the water table because that clay seals it off and mm. that's why it's a desert. One of the reasons why it's a desert. And so what happens is, how, how does the desert get clean? Uh, well, what happens is we get these uh, wind storms, usually right. in spring, that go up to, uh, can go up to 70, 100 miles per hour winds and can be devastating for man-made type stuff oh, yeah, and things yeah. of that nature. They've canceled school yeah. uh, because of wind storms. Here. Yeah. Huge pileups on the interstates. Things <laughs> yeah. of For people that aren't familiar with the desert. Yeah. Wind storm to kill you. Yeah. Uh, it could blow your house down. And so there comes a point in a, in these super storms that happen maybe probably three or four times a year. The, the ones where the sky is actually, you can't see the. You can actually see the the sun as a silver disc. You can right. look at it because the the dust in the air is so thick. So what it, what he said is that what happens is that the wind can bring up enough where the clay particles are actually being carried mm. into the wind into the atmosphere, and then they become electrified from friction, and bec- and when they become electrified, they uh, you know it's static electricity right. build up. So the fine dust begins to uh, be attracted to the clay mm. particles and they become bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier. And then they literally scrape the, the atmosphere clean when they drop. Mm. And so the next day after a windstorm, the atmosphere is crystal clear out here. It's an amazing thing. Uh, and so, yeah, so you turn that into a metaphor, right. the storms of your life and cleansing the atmosphere and your spirit and your, 
your soul and your outlook. Uh, so that's one beautiful thing about this desert. Uh, and everybody hates the wind. Yeah. Right? The windy days. Yeah. Everybody's, oh, it's I a hate pain. the wind. Yeah, it's a pain in the... Yeah. But it... But it uh, yeah, it's funny because, you know, just just the wind itself can be be annoying or be a menace, you know what I mean? But, right. But there's a bigger story going on as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I remember being drawn to it as a kid, the windy days, mm -hmm. and it would sound like the ocean outside mm -hmm. and like mysterious things were happening out there with, with the powerful wind blowing the house. So I, I some fond memories of that. Yeah, it's really interesting because just this, I mean, we at the top of the episode, we talked about it, how cold it's been. Um, I can't, I guess it was yesterday. We we had snow two days ago. Yeah. And yesterday walking around with most of the snow had melted, but there was still quite a bit of snow, you know, packed between the, the yucca branches or the yeah. bottom of the mesquite bushes or wherever, you know, wherever the sun doesn't shine in the late afternoon. And uh, just for myself, having, having another one of those moments of uh, recognizing the beauty, right? Because we don't get snow here that often, right? Wow. Or at least that it sticks around. Yeah, once or twice a year. Like yeah, but even then it usually melts. Yeah. It doesn't stick. Yeah, it doesn't stick around for two or three no, days. It's usually in gone. The city. Yeah, it's usually areas. gone by the yeah. by the late afternoon. So just having that second day of snow and just um record seeing the beauty in it, right? Even yeah. though it was cold and, and for me personally, I don't I'm I'm sure I've said it on the podcast, the cold is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> if I liked the cold, I would still live in Philadelphia <laughs> today, probably. Um, but moving taking a step back from that physical coldness and and walking around outside and um appreciating or falling back in love with with the beauty that is taking yeah. that second look right yeah. instead of just walking by the the snow patches or whatever the plants still covered yeah. uh snow mixed in and, and just uh, recognizing it right that that it's the beauty's there all around us yeah you know and uh you know and, and you were talking about the sunrises and sunsets which are which are beautiful and it reminded me of the you know the midnight sky here in chaparral when there's no clouds which is most nights and just looking up and, and being able to see the billions of stars in the sky and yeah. seeing the constellations and and knowing that you know there's a lot of places in the world because of the once again, a technology, right? Light. Yeah. Light is exactly. has light been pollution is yeah. Right. Light is a helpful that it has been a helpful thing for humanity, but because of the light pollution, you yeah. lose the the enchantment of the stars at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um yeah, man. Do you have anything else about the desert you'd like to yeah. wax poetically about here? <laughs> <laughs> Feels good. The desert is an ocean in which no oars are dipped. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Lawrence That's of it. Arabia. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, dispatches from the Verge. Uh, that's Monk Drums in the background. Uh, theRuined.com to get your uh, get any information or if you're curious about Desert Rain as a community, that's a good good resource to learn more. Uh, drcrpod.com if you're 
uh, curious about any of our other episodes. I know on this one particular, we talked a lot about Road to Desert Rain. And so there's a whole uh, library of different uh, stories and how people have encountered and, and ended up being a part of, of the greater community here at Desert Rain. So uh, thank you again, David. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, man. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and uh, have a great day.